Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Well, good afternoon, everybody. How are you guys today? Yes. My name is Danny Rivers, and I'm one of the pastors around here at LifePoint. And if you haven't already told, can tell, I have like a, a cold or allergies. So if I only bump your fist or I don't even say hi to you at all, I'm trying to do it for your protection. Uh, and if the, se- the message doesn't make any sense today, it's because all week long I had, um, well, it's not in my head, in my brain. So you're welcome. You're welcome for that. Uh, we're so glad you're here. And I've got to say one thing. First of all, uh, the band was on fire today. <laughs> Highly caffeinated and awesome, and uh, we love that. Uh, And if you missed the first part of the service, you missed five grown men, successful men, uh, dancing around and making a fool of themselves, all for your pleasure and entertainment. So give it up for them, those guys as well. They were awesome. They were awesome. Uh, Like right after this service, we're going to be doing uh, baptisms uh, here, and we're going to celebrate that with a lot of folks. And I know there's a lot of folks who maybe you were baptized as an infant or as a small child, and you have no recollection of that, uh, which I would say is uh, too big of a deal for you not to know about it, not to remember about it. I would just, I would just encourage you to think about that. And if you're thinking about it, if you're on the fence about baptism, like why should I do it or should it, is it important to my life? I just have one thing to say to you. Jesus got baptized, everybody. Come on, somebody. Jesus himself said, hey, it's important enough that I want to do it, and I want to be an example for everybody. And the Bible says that when he got baptized, that the heavens sort of opened up, and there was a voice from heaven that says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And for some of you, I'm just going to tell you, baptism will be so significant that it'll feel like the heavens have opened up on your life. And I just want to challenge you and, 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 and encourage you to just go for it, man. If today's the day, go for it. We've got short we got shirts, we got towels, we'll make it happen for you, and it's going to be awesome, and, and there'll be a bunch of people cheering you on, so just do that with us. Amen, everybody? Amen. Hey, listen, I want to pray, and then we're going to get right into the Word. Lord, thanks so, so, so very much for this day. What an amazing day. It's been one big day all day long, Lord, and we've seen so many people, God, uh, blessed and, and, and happy and going home with with awesome coffee muggage, and and also just, Lord, some encouragement from the word of the Lord. And I just pray that today, as we wrap up this day, um, that it would be an amazing day um, for everybody here, that you'd bless them, that you'd open their hearts and their minds to receive your word, and that they'd leave this place, God, equipped to go out and do life. I pray this thing in Jesus' name, and everybody give the Lord a big hand. Would you one more time, one more time? So we are today wrapping up a series called Asking for a Friend, and what we've been doing over the past few weeks is just hopefully answering some questions that people may have, and specifically the kind of questions that maybe people don't normally talk about at church, and so we've talked about uh, how to deal with my anxiety, how to deal with the fact that I keep ending up with all the wrong people romantically, and so we talked about dating. We talked about, like, why is it that my schedule just keeps getting crowded or more crowdeder and crowdeder? That's for all of my English-speaking friends. My more and more crowded, and, and I don't know how to m- make my life. And, and we said my life is over-scheduled and under-contemplated, and what do we do about that? And today, we're asking for a friend, what do I do with the, the difficult people in my life, and yet, yeah, yeah, even the toxic people in my life? How to deal with that? Um, how many of you are fans of like vampire movies or monster movies or any kind? Any fans? Any fans in the house today? Six people. Yes, this is going to be great. Then, 
Um, like when I, was a, when I was a really little kid, the vampire movies were like all in black and white. That's how old I am. And it was like some dude from like Transylvania, Romania, or maybe they're the same thing. I don't really know, to be honest with you. Uh, all the Romanians in the house, let me hear you say, what? Okay, that's good. All right. In case I offended anybody, nobody, nobody's claiming their own country today. Anyways, uh, and it'd be like, I've come to suck your blood, blah, blah, blah. Or, I don't know. And the guy had slick back hair, and it was always like a little point in the middle, like Adam's family or whatever that was. Um, and then, like, fast forward to, like, this generation. The vampires are all really, really good-looking teenagers, apparently. Um, none of them have grown up. And, but when I was, like, a teenager, like, in the back-in-the-day day, y'all you know what I'm talking about, back-in-the-day like, we had this movie called Lost Boys, and, and, and anybody feeling me on, yeah, some 40-year-old people in the house today. <laughs> 40-somethings representing uh, today, yeah, and that, to me, that was the one, man. If you're going to watch one, that's the one. Um, so, vampires, the deal was that vampires have come to suck your blood, you know, and, 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 but that's, in real life, there are relational vampires that have come to suck the joy and the life out of your life. Come on, somebody. And, to, and make, make home life or work life or school life, like, miserable. So we, we want to talk today um, about difficult people. And by difficult people, I mean all of the categories. The gossips, the bullies, the blamers, the cri- criticizers, the negatives. Is that a word? The tempters, the complainers, the whiners. Like, just fill in the blank. Um, because here's the deal. Some of you... Some of you work with people in the office that are just like gossipy McGopperson. Gossiping? I don't know how to say that. I, I have a lot of things going on in my brain right now. Um, and people are gossiping about everybody. And some of you have, don't raise your hand, have in-laws who criticize everything you do. And like you can never do it good enough. And some of you have a friend who you see from time to time, but you've heard it through the grapevine that they're killing you behind your back, right? Some of you live with people in your own house who are always blaming you or blaming somebody else for all their problems. They're always the victim. They're never responsible for for any of their actions, right? Some of you don't raise your hand that you know somebody like that, but you know somebody like that. Definitely don't point at them today because that's not helpful, y'all. Like That's the person right there. That's like not helpful, all right? But then there's this other category that I want to just get into just a little bit today. Um, where people are truly toxic in your life. And when you think about toxic, the the word toxic means something like anything containing poisonous materials capable of making somebody sick or, or even causing death. And when you think about toxic people, there are people in some of your lives and maybe all of our lives who are so broken, so hurting, or, or, or for lack of a better word, damaged on some level that it seems like they can't help but, but create damage and hurt people and, and poison other people. And they're oftentimes manipulative or intimidating or divisive or abusers or controllers. And we're going to get into that a little bit um, today. And here's the rub. Here's the rub because most of us in the room today would say, you know what, I'm, I'm a fairly well-adjusted you know, person, I'm responsible, <clears throat> I'm loving. So it's easy to assume because you're like that, that naturally other people will be the same as you, right? You think, well, I care about other people, and I often care about how my actions and my words affect other people, and so probably everybody else feels the same way. And yet, yet come on, y'all, we know this isn't true. We know that there are people out here who don't care how their words, their actions their, uh, affect you. And this is why conflict is inevitable and why life is challenging. Like I heard somebody say, life would be amazing if it weren't for the people. You know what I'm saying? Anyways, I didn't say that. 
Um, uh, but, 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 but you know what I'm saying. And, and so what do we do? And, and how do we handle the difficult, the challenging people in our lives? And, and then at the very end, we'll talk about that last category, that toxic category. And, and I just think it's important for us all to be, when we, when we think about difficult people, we're always assuming it's the other person, right? They're difficult, right? <clears throat> it's never, we don't ever sort of look inside and go, wait a minute, what if it's me? And Jesus, um, in the Bible, give a lot of relational sort of guidelines. You can call them rules, but rules sound oppressive. They're really just sort of guidelines, like this is how you should treat people, and you should have compassion, and you should have kindness, and you should bear with one another. You should bear each other's burdens, and there's all of that in the New Testament. But Jesus comes to a point when he's teaching his disciples, and this is right before he's going to be crucified. In John's Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, in John's Gospel, John chapter 13, he's going to give them these, this relational rule that sort of trumps all the other ones. And here's what he says, a new command I give to you. Like, and he's saying this because there's a lot of commandments in the Old Testament. It's not just the 10, there's a bunch of other ones too. So many so that he's like, hey, listen, let me, let me give you one that sort of summarizes it. Uh, here, here's what he says, and this is John 13, 34. He says, love one another, right? But, but, but in case they could confuse that or in case that's blurry, he says, he gives them this caveat, as I have loved you, you must love one another. And he says, and here's, here's how people are going to know that you're a follower of Jesus. Not because you come to church or, you know, clap your hands or sing a song. But he says, by, by this, by the fact that you love one another, that you, you show kindness to one another, people are going to know that you're followers, you're, you're my disciples. And this becomes the sort of overarching theme. And they don't understand this when he says it, but a few days, weeks later, whatever the time was, when he's hanging on a cross for their sins and my sins and your sins, they're like, oh, wow. The kind of love that he had for us was a sacrificial kind of love. And his response to us and his, his notion to us is like, like, in the same way that I loved you sacrificially, I want you to love each other. So then Paul, the apostle, who writes two-thirds of our New Testament, he comes along in Romans chapter 12, and, and this is kind of where we're going to go for a bit, and he gives us, he sort of unpacks that and gives us some more kind of guidelines. And here's what he says in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. And we're like, do what now? You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, what? Right? And he goes on, he says, bless them and do not curse. And you're like, well, come on, man. That's my go-to response when people mistreat me. It's like, beep, 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 beep. Like, like he says, don't do that. Like, 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 like even if that's your go-to, don't do that. Rejoice with those who rejoice. These are relational rules, guidelines. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with each other. Like, what would that look like in our country today? Do, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of, of low position. People you wouldn't normally hang around with them. He says, hang around with them. Do not be conceited. Do not repay evil, uh, uh, repay anyone evil for evil. Don't, 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 don't just try to get retribution. He says, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And then this incredible verse. If it is possible. Would you say that with me? If it is possible. As far as it depends on you. Live at peace with everybody. You know what Paul is saying here without saying it is, listen, there's been an incredible amount of grace dispensed to you that came from God through Jesus down towards you. But grace has got to flow about it. Grace doesn't just flow down. Grace has to flow out. 
to people, even the people who persecute you, even the people who have harmed you in life, that grace always has a, a, a flow. But I want you to notice that qualifying phrase in verse 18, as far as it depends on who? You. And in, in your case, you would say, as far as it depends on me, I'm going to do the very best I can do. I'm going to start with me. So before I engage in this, this, this argument, before I uh, lash out, before I, before I do anything, I'm going to start and say, what's going on in my heart, Lord? What's going on in my heart, uh, Danny? What's happening inside of me that would cause me to want to react out, out of hand? That, that starting with me is a great place to start, not in a selfish way, because I want to just say this and then I'll move on. If it never occurs to you in, in some sort of conflict, could it be me? If that never occurs to you, then you're probably dealing with some low-level self-awareness. And I think that in, in, in and of itself could be a great place to start with, how do I deal with difficult people? Maybe I'm a difficult person, right? Maybe I need to look inside my own heart, my own life. And this is what, this is what Jesus and this is what Paul is getting at here. Because, because Dr. Henry Cloud, this incredible world-class psychologist, he says, healthy relationships stem from healthy individuals. Doesn't that just make sense? And he describes healthy individuals, those who have control um, of themselves and their lives. And we're going to come back to that in just a minute. So, so how do you deal with difficult people? I think this is an imperative right here. After I've started going, man, what's going on in my own life? I think the first thing we do is, is I got to get a clear picture of the kind of person I'm dealing with. Like when I said to you, how many of you have difficult people in your life? Some of you are like Billy, Sally, Susie. Oh, man, how much time do we have? You know, like, let me flip the Rolodex through, you know, and tell you how many difficult people I have in my life. You got those people in your mind. But you, you don't need to just get their face in their mind. You need to see what kind of person is this based on their personality and their traits and, 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 and tailor your response to them based on them. Now, here, I'm going to give this some, some merit now because you're like, whatever, dude. Let me give you some merit. Se several years ago, I was at a conference, a leadership conference. It was a business leadership conference. They had Dr. Henry Cloud there speaking. If you don't know Dr. Henry Cloud, he's a world-class psychologist. He consults with many, many, many Fortune 500 companies. But I think his greatest gift to us all is these books that he's writing. He's written a million books on the, on the idea of boundaries and creating boundaries and, and necessary endings. And they're, they're amazing about interpersonal relationships and how to sort of deal with them. Well, he's given a talk uh, this day, that, and I'm listening there writing Furious and Fast and Furious because it was brilliant, uh, about how to deal with, with difficult people in your life, particularly at work. That was the, the context. And, and during this talk, he actually, even though it's a sort of business conference, he actually quotes um, a, the wise man Solomon from our Bibles in the book of Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs are collections a collection of wise sayings and maxims for life written in many cases to uh, Solomon's younger sons. Like, dudes, let me tell you how to live life. Let me tell you what's, what's up. And so here's what he says in Proverbs chapter 9. He's saying, listen to me now. Whoever corrects, whoever has a conversation with a mocker, or, or the Bible would use the word fool sometimes in the same exact sense. Whoever tries to correct or have a conversation with a mocker invites what? Insults. Say it with me. Ready? And whoever rebukes the, here's a different category of people, the wicked, uh, what the Bible would also call an evil person, will incur abuse. So he says, listen, do not rebuke mockers or foolish people or they will hate you. They'll become haters in your life. 
But if you rebuke, here's the third category. If you rebuke the wise, they're going to love you for it. They might not like it, but they're going to appreciate that you've come and said, hey, man, stop. Don't do that. He said, instruct the wise. Man, they're going to be wiser still. Teach the righteous, and they will add to their learning. And so you see three categories of people with whom you might run into in life. And I would argue that most everybody fits into one of these three categories. And I'm going to just kind of take them one by one. And I can't give you every detail of what you should do, but I'm going to give you some overarching things, all right? Hopefully this, you find this helpful. This isn't group therapy. This isn't Danny the therapist. I'm not a therapist. This is just God's word and how it applies to yours and my life. Everybody with me so far? All right, so first of all, he says the wise person. Now, Wise doesn't mean the brightest, the smartest, the most talented, because plenty of very smart people have no wisdom whatsoever. Can I get a word from everybody, right? Because wisdom comes in uh, various ways. But for a person to be wise, I think fundamentally they have to be open to receiving the lessons that wisdom might teach them from, from wherever that comes from. So we said this many times, but when a wise person, Here's what makes a person wise. A wise person knows what they don't know. So they're like, man, my marriage is struggling right now. What does a wise person do when their marriage is struggling? They go look for somebody who has wisdom in marriage, who has a track record of wisdom. They've been married. They have a good, and they go, hey, man, could you teach me what you know about, about marriage? And they become wiser because it's wise to learn from the wise. That's what makes a wise person wise is they know what they don't know. They're self-aware to go, I don't know that about money. So they go to people who do know that's what makes them wise. And that's the bottom line with a wise person is that they're open to, listen to me now, feedback. They seek feedback out. They're looking for people to give them insights into their own because everybody has blind spots. Everybody has blind spots. And the wise person goes, hey, help me see what I cannot see in terms of my behavior, how it's affecting people. Th this doesn't mean that they can't or won't be difficult, but when you're dealing with a difficult person who's wise, you can know that if you approach them with truth and do it gracefully, that it will be received. These are the kind of people, by the way, who actually put up their grocery cart when they're done. They're wise people. Come on, somebody, give a word of wisdom right now, right? Some of you are like, well, I don't do that. Well, there's a second category coming, all right? I'm messing with you. So with a wise person, you sit down and say, listen, man, I, I know you probably don't know this, but man, the way that you talked to me the other day or the way you called me out in front of everybody, dude, that wasn't really very cool, man. I, I would love it if you just wouldn't do that. Like if you would have handled that so differently, that would have been so helpful. The wise person would be like, oh, you know what, man? My bad, bro. You're right. I shouldn't have done it that way. Matter of fact, here's what Jesus says in Matthew's gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Matthew's gospel in chapter 18, Jesus is giving instruction about this very thing. He says, listen, if your brother or your sister, and he's not talking about your literal brother or sister, although that could apply. Come on, somebody, right? If your brother or sister sins against you, if they harm you in some way, if they hurt you in some way, he says, go to them, point this thing out to them, like just one-on-one, -on -one, right? Uh, just between the two of you is the way he says it. If they listen to you, A, they're wise. B, you'll have won them over. They'll get it. Right? So that's how you deal with a wise person. You, you talk to them. You talk honestly. You talk openly. And if they're wise, they'll receive it. Everybody with me so far? But there's a second category, which I would say is a much larger category than the first one. And this is the foolish person or the mocker. Right? I'm not making fun of people. This is just a fact of life. 
so, like, if the chief descriptor of a wise person is that when the light bulb comes on, they go, oh, I see that, and they respond to it, and they adjust their behavior because of the light of the truth, the fool does the exact opposite of this, right? He or she rejects the feedback, resists it, explains it away with a thousand excuses about why, does nothing to adjust to the, the light of truth, never is wrong because it's always somebody else's fault because I'm the victim here and the fool will shoot the messenger, right? That's why, that's why Mr. T said, pity the fool, you know what I'm saying? Anybody, Mr. T? 40-year-olds, you know what I'm saying? 40-year-olds in the house today. But by the way, I would say this category fits a lot of people in our world today. It doesn't mean they're fools. It just means that they think like children sometimes and they have foolish behaviors. And children, you're awesome too, right? Come on, but you're young, right? So Solomon says, hey, listen, when you try to go have a conversation with a foolish person or a mocker is the word he uses, he says, you invite insults from them. I want you to think about the last conflict that you had with somebody when you went to them and talked to them. Chances are, if you're dealing with a fool, when you, they will almost always turn the argument back around on you. You could spend five minutes and give four very succinct, you know, clear phrases about how their, their, their actions or their words have harmed you and have made you feel. They will spend the next 20 minutes when you're done, and they'll probably interrupt you about 64 times with excuses and what, yeah, but what about. But they will spend 20 minutes turning it around back on you without ever acknowledging what you tried patiently and gracefully to tell them. Foolish. So, so, so they'll go to kindergarten level, right? And they'll be like, uh, you're rubber. Uh, I mean, uh, they're, they are rubber and you're glue. And whatever you say bounces off me and sticks to you. Come on, y'all. Remember that from kindergarten? You didn't know I had that in the back pocket today, right? And, and their chief communication style is sarcasm and insult and deflect and deflect and deflect and never own it and never responsible. Solomon says, They'll hate you, man. They'll become the kind of people that once you confront them with something, that they'll try to sabotage you the rest of the time you have to work with them. They'll hate, they'll become haters in your life. Fools. Now, I got a lot of subcategories under the foolish column, but let me just give you a couple. And, 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 and the first one is that, that, that these people are often chronically negative. You ever have a chronically negative person? You're like, what's up, man? It's terrible, man. Like, life is hard. You know, I hate it. Like, bro, it's been like that for 12 years. Yeah, but it's even worse now. It's even worse now. And you're like, dude, I'm never going to ask you how it's going again because they're negative and they're, and they're dragging you down and they're judgmental and they're critical and they're gossipy and they're complainers and nothing's ever good enough. How many of you know somebody like this? Come on, you know somebody like this? Raise your hand. If you're not raising your hand, it might be you. That's all I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? I'm kidding. I want to say this to the students because I think this is a category of, of a foolish person that you might be dealing with right now, and that's tempters. People are chronically tempting you to do something you don't really want to do. Pe peer pressure negatively. Girls, it could be this boyfriend that you think is so awesome and so cool, but he's tempting you to try to go down a road sexually or relationally that you don't want to go and you don't even feel like God wants you to go, and, and so they're tempting you foolish, right? Fellas, it could be your friends that, like, you're like, well, dude, all my friends are really foolish. That's why we're having so much fun, right? Well, it's only fun for so long until somebody gets hurt or goes to jail, FYI. Just, hey, man, somebody, I'm going to move along. But you got to figure out, how are these people affecting me, right? At the end of the day, someone say, hey, these kinds of folks are foolish, and you have to pay attention to the effects that they're having on your life. Now, in light of that, in light of that, 
in the light of the command for Jesus that we got to love people, we got to support one another, we got to bear one another's burdens. What do we do with the people in our lives who are difficult or challenging or they're negative or they're, or they're tempters or whatever these categories could be, but they fall into the foolish category? Well, since you're not allowed to cut them, you know what I'm saying, for Jesus, you know what I'm saying, like you gotta, I, always, I always tell people, like, I'm like, I'm, like, um, I'm going to have to cut them. You know what I'm saying? I'm not really going to cut anybody, by the way. FYI. But a couple of years ago, I walked into the office, and there were some people in there stealing, robbing our office. Like, I caught them in the act. And I was like, I got righteously angry, and I had a big knife, and I was like, I will cut you. You know, now they could have shot me, but for whatever reason, they were like, dude, I'm sorry, man. It's okay. And so since that day, I've been carrying a knife, you know, just in case I need to cut somebody. Like, just a little bit, like a little nick, you know. A little tiny stab or whatever, you know. I have some band-aids there. I'll invite him to Light Point. We'll we'll pray the guy will heal him, but you know, just in case. But since it's not legal to cut him, what should we do? All right. Some of you are like, this dude's violent. Um, not really. Let, let, let me let me break this down a little bit. Talking to a wise person about how their behavior or their words is affecting you will most certainly help if you're talking to a wise person. Talking wisely with a foolish person, Solomon says. It won't help. He says, as a matter of fact, it's just going to invite insults from them. So you stop talking to a foolish person about the problems that they're creating in your life. Instead, you take steps um, to protect what is important to you. So instead of talking about the problem, you talk about the consequences if they continue to do this. Does that make sense? And, and the consequences, I don't know what they are for you, but they could be they're, they're things that are ultimately about protecting your heart or your emotions or your safety or whatever is relevant and maybe inflicting a little pain on them in the process. I don't mean like literally cutting them, FYI, just in case. The pastor said we should cut you if you cross the line, right? I'm kidding, right? It's, 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 it's metaphorical, right? Um, but some, some kind of pain. And, and ultimately what I'm talking about today, and this is sort of, so point number one is you got to know who you're talking to. Point number two is just this. Uh, you gotta, you got you to set up some boundaries, in your life with these people. Now, this isn't something that's new. You already know this, but some people don't know how to do it. So, so what is a boundary? Well, a boundary sort of just at a base level is it keeps the good stuff in and it keeps the bad stuff out. And, and the best way I can describe this is those of you who live in a neighborhood where there are fences that sort of uh, set the boundaries of your property. They generally build those right along the edge of your property so that kind of whatever happens inside those fences, whatever one of you do to your yard, whatever crazy junk you want to bring in, however many pots, potted plants, or however many concrete things you want to put in. Can y'all tell I got a little b problem with some of my neighbors? Anyways, however many thousands of things that you think you should put there, it's your call until the HOA comes and, and tells you to move it. Come on, y'all know what I'm saying? HOA, it's like Nazi Germany. Anyways, <clears throat> Sorry if you're an HOA person. Um, so so, so that I can kind of do whatever I want within my own realm. But the problem is, is when I start to try to change or, 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 or damage or make decisions that affect areas outside of my, like in my neighbor's yard, I get into trouble when I get out of, now, now I want you to track with me mentally here. I get into trouble when I get out of my area and start making changes that affect other people's area. That's an easy meta metaphor for boundaries, but in the area of our hearts and our souls, it's not always that simple to know what it is that we're responsible for and when we're crossing a line. So as a result, as human beings, myself included, we will tend to overstep our boundaries 
in an attempt to change or control or step into somebody else's realm. And the Bible calls this trespassing against one another. That's a biblical word. That when we, we step out of my sphere of influence into your sphere of influence in a way to control you, manipulate you, or change you, I have trespassed against you. And that's what's happening in this area. And so problems begin when we step out of our own realms into other people's and we try to control uh, them. Or, or there are people who have lost control over their own realms. They don't have any boundaries in their lives. And, and, and so what happens in their realm begins to bleed over onto other people. You've seen people who are so out of control with their own lives that their actions are now harming you because they're out of control. So, so, so a couple of examples here. Uh, from Dr. Henry Cloud. He says there are people who are controllers, and, and you can know a controller because they're always on the lookout for somebody else to, to take their responsibility, to bear their burdens, to take care of them. And so who do they gravitate towards controlling people? They, they gravitate towards people who have blurry boundaries and who will naturally take on much more responsibility than it is theirs to carry. And these people are called compliance. You have controllers and you have compliance. And compliance are these people who are just looking for somebody to fix and somebody to repair. And you've seen, guys, you've seen these people who date bad boy after bad boy after bad boy because they're trying to fix them. And, oh, I know that they've got some weird ways, but I'll, I'll fix them. I'll change them. And, and guess who is drawn to each other? Controllers and compliance. One wants to step out of their, uh, over their boundaries, and one has no boundaries, so they just invite you to do whatever you want. And so what happens when we have boundary problems is we develop emotional problems like rage, like, like controlling behaviors, like passive aggression, like, like an inability and a fear of intimacy or an inability to just say, no, no, I'm not going to do that. We lose that. So the Bible has so much wisdom in the area of, of, of having self-control. Like, go read, just, just do a word search in the Bible of self-control. Like, like one of the Proverbs says, a, a, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. And, and if you know that day and that time, the, 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 the walls were what provided protection. So a person with no self-control is like a city with no protection. So the Bible has excellent wisdom about self-control, but it has no, no teachings about others control. And yet, this is what we want to do. So I want to give you a couple of boundaries, just quickly. And, and this is as much as anything for our, our, our younger people in the room. There's a million boundaries that you may have to set up in your own life. I can't tell you what they are, but I'll give you a couple of, uh, of, of them that are good and healthy. Like, like, number one, I won't let you talk to me like that. I won't let you treat me in that way. You're not coming out swinging. You're not screaming this out, but very calmly, but emphatically saying, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm going to put up a healthy boundary, and you cannot speak to me like that anymore. And if you do, if you do, here are the consequences. I'm going to have to leave. I'm going to have to walk away. I'm going to have to leave this situation or defend myself in some way. You can't treat me that way. Se second boundary is, hey, I'm not going to go there with you. I'm not, I'm not going to go there with you. And, and you don't have to be judgy or preachy, but I'm thinking of a person in, in, in my own sphere who had struggled with alcohol and, and alcoholism at a very, very, very young age and had developed some friends who were like 
drunky McDrunkersons, right? Um, sorry, I, I don't even know what that means. But <clears throat> that everything, every event has to include alcohol. And every time we go out, it's like, if I don't go out with a beer in this hand and a margarita in this hand, then we're not having fun. And, and so I'm saying to a person like that, th that has struggled with it, or, or their conscience dictates to them that alcohol is not going to be part of my life. That without being judged, you can just say, hey, I'm not going to go there with you guys. You're going to go to that party again. You're going to go do that thing again that involves, like, I just, I don't want to go there. I just don't want to do that, right? You draw a healthy boundary because you're going to protect what matters most in your life. Listen to me. You're going to protect what matters most in your life, and, and you're going to try to please, you're trying to please God with your life. Now, this may be the most important thing I tell you today. P part of growing up and not being needy and codependent is your ability to develop your, your no muscle. Come on, some of you, we've seen all your selfies from the gym, but I want you to go home and start curling a 50-pound no, like bell, right? No muscle. L listen to me, ladies, you don't have to say yes to everything. You don't have to say yes, moms, to everything your kids want to do. I'm sorry, kids, I'm throwing you under the bus right now. You don't have to say yes to everything your teacher says has to happen every day. Sorry, teachers, I'm throwing you under the bus a little bit. You don't have to say yes to every opportunity. You can learn to develop the no muscle, which might be the most important thing you ever learn because somebody of us want to go, well, I don't want to hurt their feelings. So you'll wreck your life trying not to hurt their feelings? Come on, say no, man. That might be the best thing you ever learned. Because with a boundary, you're, you're giving limits to stop the collateral damage of people who refuse to listen or take advice or have self-control. You're like, no, you will not. With your lack of listening and your lack of self-control, you will not bleed all over me, man. And you give consequences that will cause them to feel the pain of their choice. And listen, sometimes saying no, you will not, and here's what's going to happen, might change their lives. They may have the potential to move from fool to wise because all of us have been foolish at various points in our lives. And, but we learn. Some people got to learn the hard way, right? So give them some hard ways, man. All right. For Jesus, you know what I'm saying? For Jesus. <laughs> Invite them to church. <laughs> I, I got to talk to the students because this is so incredibly important to you. These should be boundaries that are set up inside your heart and soul that are fixed. These are things that I won't do. These are things that I will be about, and these are the things that I won't be about. And, and the Bible would call these personal convictions, like I have a conviction, and they're based on God's word. But they're not just based on God's word. They're based on your vision for your life. Because what happens is all along the way throughout your middle school and high school years into college, there's going to be all these woohoo moments, right? Woohoo, it's spring break, let's go. What happens in Vegas happens in Vegas, woohoo. It's, 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 it's prom night, it's, it's homecoming night, woohoo. It's summer. Woohoo. Listen, if you have a clear vision of your life and the woohoo comes up and it's tempting and you say, no, 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 if this is this going to hurt the vision God has for my life? Is it going to hurt it? Then I will say no to that. And it's a fixed belief. It's not circumstantial. It's not situational. This is who I am. This is who the, the core of who I am. And if you have that inside of you, you will make your life go so much cleaner, so much further, so much faster than people who got to learn the hard way. But when somebody tries to violate or trespass your boundaries, you simply say no, and you walk away if you have to, which leads us to the last category that Dr. Cloud says, that Solomon says, and that's the evil person. 
Now, this is a tough one. I remember vividly filling up my journal with things that he was saying, writing these down, like, whoa. But when he got to this evil one, conceptually for me, it was hard to make that leap. Like, I can watch the nightly news and go, gosh, that dude's evil. That warlord over there, that guy that in that country, that guy on the news, I can watch Dateline and go, wow, that's a really evil person. I can make that leap. But to make the leap that a family member or a friend or a coworker could actually be evil, hard to leap there. Might call him a jerk or a loser or a failure or some other words we can't say at church, right? But rarely would I say somebody that I know is evil. But you need to know this. Solomon wouldn't have said this. This wouldn't have ended up in the Bible if that wasn't a real category for your life and for mine. They are damaging you. They're not just toxic. They're not just difficult or challenging. They are toxic in your life. They are poisoning your ability to relate to other people in a healthy way. They're creating havoc and chaos in your heart and your soul. There are people in your life and in mine who would, if we let them, control, manipulate, abuse, and divide us. Oh, Danny, I thought this was like the fun day. It is, but it's the real talk day too. It's real talk right now. These people might actually fall in the category of evil in your life. L look back at what the wise man said, Solomon, Proverbs 9. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. We've already talked about that. But whoever rebukes, whoever tries to have a, an honest conversation about how their actions are affecting me incurs what? Abuse. And that abuse can show up in any kind of way from overbearing and controlling behaviors and demanding and manipulative behaviors and, and fear trying to intimidate you into compliance or, or perhaps using guilt to manipulate you. When I was a little kid, I used to tell my parents when I was a teenager, hey, mom, can I have five bucks? No, son. If I die tomorrow, you're going to wish you gave me that five dollars. And then she'd be like, oh, you're probably right. And I'd be like, see, I was using guilt to manipulate my mom. Don't use that against me, kids. Um, So when you're dealing with an evil person, you have to go into protection mode, not helping mode. See, the first two categories, wise person, like you're trying to say, hey, help. Let me help you help me. Man, you hurt me, man. So let's just stop. When you're dealing with a foolish person, you're trying to help them. Like you're hoping to help them understand. Listen, I know you won't hear what I'm trying to say to you, but listen, if you don't stop, this is what's going to happen. But you're trying to help them. And in the same set sentence, you're trying to help you. But with an evil person... You gotta, and it's a big step conceptually to realize this, that there are people who hurt you because they want to hurt you. There are some people whose desire is to hurt other people, and you have to protect yourself. And you might have to do so with lawyers, lawmen, or women, or your own personal resources to protect. You don't sit around. Solomon's like, you don't, you don't sit around hoping to have a conversation with an evil person, hoping that they're going to change their ways. Listen, he says, you're just inviting abuse into your life. So you have to go into full-on protection mode, and you've got to do whatever you can to make sure you're not going to be hurt anymore or that your loved ones aren't going to be hurt anymore by them. So with a wise person, you talk to them about their problems. Uh, with, with a foolish person, you talk to them about the consequences. But with an evil person, you don't talk to them at all. You get other people to do your talking for you. You remember the words of Jesus? He says, hey, listen, if a brother or sister offends you, sins against you, you go to them one-on-one. -on -one. 
But he's not done there because he's, t- he's doing a teaching about interpersonal relationships. In the very, very next verse, verse 16, he says, but if they will not listen, what? You take two or three others along. And that may be a lawyer, that may be a lawman, that may be your big brother, because if, you, if, you're big, if somebody jack, your big brother can jack with you, but nobody else better jack with you. Come on, somebody, y'all with me right now? Listen to me, ladies, if you're in, the, in an abusive situation, I'm challenging you to find about seven of us dudes to come over there and handle some business for you. Come on, y'all, we don't play with abuse. We do not play with abuse. We will, we will bring down the wrath of the Bear County Sheriff's Office on you, or the SAPD, or the HPD, the Halotus PD. We will come at you. That's, what, that's what's happening here. So that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. There's sometimes where you don't go to them anymore because they're, they're abusive people. You bring other people along with you. That's what Jesus says. I want you to understand this now. One of God's greatest agendas for your life and for mine is to mature us, to grow us, to create us, to make us healthy, to make us strong, to make us sort of well-adjusted people. And he will, he will necessarily use difficult people in your life and mine. Uh, one of my mentors calls these people grace developers, right? He will use people in your life, difficult people, to grow you, to strengthen you, to toughen you up. To, to Whether they realize it or not, he'll use them to help grow you, difficult people. That's part of God's agenda. But God's plan does not involve being abused and controlled by other people. That is never God's plan, and that is never going to be for your good. So number three, you may have to cut off the toxic relationships. I told you, you're going to have to cut some stuff. Because sometimes you're going to have to say, bye, 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 baby, bye, bye, bye. See how I worked that in there? (laughs) If you missed the first part, you have no idea what I'm talking about right now. By, by By the way, seriously, this is not the solution if you're married or with your children. Listen, these are covenantal relationships. You got to work. You got to try. You got to press in. You got to get help. You got to get counseling. You got to work everything you can. That's the, the last, last resort. But in our more broad relationships, back to Romans 12, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, notice these words if it's possible. You know what the writer is saying? That if, sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes you've done everything you know how to do. You've tried everything you know how to do. This person won't listen. This person won't respect your boundaries. This person keeps bleeding all over you because they're hurt, they're damaged, they're broken. And that's a time, Henry Cloud would say, that's a time for necessary endings. But in all of it, bless you, but in all of it, I'm going to be polite even if I'm up here, y'all. Come on, in all of it. In all of it, we pray for them. It's not, it's not, hey, listen, this is what's got to happen, and and, and when I'm leaving here, I'm I'm going to send to tell you, this is what you do. This is it, man. This is the end of this. But I I want to promise you, I'm going to be praying for you. You You will not hear me bad mouthing you. I'm going to pray for your good and not for your harm. I'm going to pray that you have a future. It's just not going to include me. Right? You pray for the person. You know why you pray for the person? When he says bless those that persecute you, he means you're praying blessings on them. And I remember in my own life with a person who really, really did me harm for a very, very long time. That one day I made the turn because I had asked God, God help me to forgive them. And I I would say, God, I I forgive so-and-so, but I didn't really mean it. But I was just acting it in faith. That's what you do sometimes when you're forgiving. You act in faith. 
And I remember saying, God, I pray your blessings on this man. I pray that, that you would you'd bless him in the good that he's trying to do. And, 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 I, and I, I hated saying it. But I prayed it until I began to mean it. And you know what happened in the process of that? Praying for difficult people helps us to humanize them because it's true. Hurt people hurt people. And I realized that there was some damage in there that had been done to them somewhere along. There was some brokenness. And through prayer, it helped me to realize that often people are difficult because they're hurting and they're broken. And it helped me to gain some, some perspective and it helped me to gain some empathy for them and why they may be the way they are. And no matter what happens in all of it, here's the last thing, I promise. We're always going to be as kind as we can be. You know why? Because respect is as much about who you are as a person as it is about the other person. That, that you're the kind of person that who, even if they've hurt you, even if they're damaging, you're the kind of person who will respect even the people you disagree with and you can no longer associate with. I'm going to treat them kindly. I'm going to extend grace to them. I may not be part of their life anymore, but I'm going to show them the respect that God has shown me through Jesus. And that's my relational responsibility. In light of what Jesus has done for me, is to extend love. Even when I can't be a part of their life anymore, I'm going to always be loving and gracious and kind and respectful along the way. Amen, somebody? Can I just pray for you real quick? We're going to get out of here. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. Lord, I know this isn't one of those messages where we feel inclined to have an emotional response necessarily, but I just pray, God, as you've been talking to my mind and my brain and my heart, about these very things, Lord, that this would have somehow been helpful to somebody who may be right now in a situation where they're just challenged every day at work or they're, they're challenged every day with a difficult person and they don't know what to do and maybe they've blurred the lines and they don't have good boundaries. You just help them to have firm convictions about who they are and what they'll tolerate and what they won't tolerate. God, and that doesn't make us less Christian that we say no. It just makes us, because Jesus, even you said no. Even you rebuked people. Lord Jesus, and I just pray that we would have the firm conviction about who we are and even more importantly, whose we are, um, that we don't have to do this. And Lord, for those of us who are in really scary situations or damaging situations or abusive situations where there's a lot of fear going on, God, I pray that you give us the clarity to, to do what Jesus said, to, to, to bring the two or three witnesses, to bring the two or three other people. And, and it might be big, tall, strong other people to help us deal with the situations that feel beyond us. That we would gain a heart of wisdom to know what we don't know and that we get involved with those people who do know what to do and how to handle our situations. God, and I pray that the forgiveness that you've extended to us through the cross of Jesus, that amazing grace that is so far beyond our own comprehension to understand, that, 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 that if we've not accessed that grace by faith in Jesus, that today we realize that you went to the extreme of a cross you went to the extreme of a cross to pay for the times in my life when I was going to cross those lines against other people, against you. You died on a cross, shed your blood for the forgiveness of my sins, my trespasses. And your response to me is just, hey, listen, come, let me live inside your heart. Make me the Lord of your life. Let me be the forgiver of your sins. And Lord, for those of us who have never done that, we can pray that right now. Lord, come, live in my heart. Come be the Lord of my life. Be the forgiver of my sins. Take the damage and the brokenness inside of me, Lord. Take it on you. That's what's on offer, he says. I, I believe 
that you died on a cross. I believe that you rose again to give me life and to give me hope and to give me help. Lord, come live in me, I pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said a big amen. Come on, can we celebrate those who just did that right now? Amen, everybody. Come on, let's give them a big hand. God bless you guys. Thanks so much. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.